and, and for us to just like recognize we don't know the answer to this question and we were kind of scoffing internally yeah. like there's no way that's gonna work but it totally blew our minds oh. it was amazing that's awesome welcome to hallway conversations we're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of collaboration and reflection as we seek to keep growing as teachers. So this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name's Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. For those of you new here, we're trying to create space where people can play around with a few ideas in the context of what it means to teach and lead Christianly. And one of our deep hopes is that you might be encouraged to go back to your classroom, your staff room, your hallway, and engage in your own hallway conversations. We also love it when listeners give us feedback, suggest ideas for shows, or even send in questions. So if you feel compelled to do so, please write us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. Dave and Abby, today we continue our series on the book Flourishing Together by Andy Wolf and Lynn Swanner, and I know that we've all enjoyed it immensely. Mm-hmm. Listeners, you definitely don't need to read this book in order to join in on the fun, and you can catch up if you want to. So Dave will put a link in the show notes for you for those who still need to purchase it. Part one that we talked about was entitled Purpose, and part two was about relationships. And today we're going to discuss part three, which is about learning. Dave and Abby, we often begin with a check-in question. So today's check-in question in the context of part three is, what's one positive learning memory for you and what makes it memorable? I know for me, uh, I can remember being in, in grade 10 English, and we were studying To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And I struggled in a lot of subjects in school, but, but English was one I loved for all kinds of different reasons. And for some reason, I remember we were reading um, the opening of, of To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a line somewhere in the, uh, in the first few pages where at, they're at Atticus's place and they are having dinner. And I think it's Scout or Jim who's exploring or playing around this idea of cursing. And at one point, one of them says, pass the damn ham. <laughs> and, and for some reason, to this day, when people ask me what my favorite line in literature is, mm-hmm. That's it. I say mm-hmm. that because it was the first time that I can remember la- yeah, laughing, yeah. like laughing out loud um, in a class, yeah. that this was okay, yeah. giggling. I just had never thought so much that that. Uh, literature could bring that kind of joy. Yeah. I'm just literally out loud laughing. And that our um, English teacher back then, Mrs. DeYoung, was okay with that. Yeah. That we could giggle about that. Yeah. And we weren't told to be quiet. Sure. And and so I just think I just think of that line in grade ten English from I forgot about that line. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. And I can't no, I can't I forget <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so well, anyways, I'll start I'll start with that. How how about yeah. you guys? Yeah. So mine, I'm going to share a professional learning story, I think. Uh, when I was a first-year teacher, um, my administrator had me get video of myself teaching. Oh, that's and, the worst. And, yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. It, it, it was yeah. hard to watch. Yeah. And, I mean, this is in the mid-90s, yeah. so I'm watching on VHS at home watching myself. And this is the funny part, because I actually was fast-forwarding through part of the tape. And this is how I learned that I talk with my whole body. And mm-hmm. like, listeners, if you don't know me personally, if you've never met me, I talk 
talk with my whole body, like my eyebrows to my sure. arms waving around, right? Yeah. I never realized that about myself until watching this mm-hmm. video of myself, too. And I'm watching it in Fast Forward, so I look like I'm trying to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, flapping. Oh, it was so good. But but I think about that and, and the, the self-knowledge that I got yeah. about my own quirkiness mm-hmm. as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean that in the best way, yeah. right? Like Because once you're aware of it and you get past the awkwardness of it, then you own that. Yeah. too and, yeah. and and that was a powerful learning experience for me um in in a way that i really needed as a as a novice teacher yeah. that that uh, it just helped me to become the teacher i am today yeah yeah well thanks for sure i think i'm gonna choose okay so for sixth grade and i believe it was like a world history social studies type mm-hmm. situation um at my school we did a medieval festival Oh, nice. Like a banquet. So the parents came. We had medieval food. We decorated the entire gym. We dressed up. That's awesome. It was an entire banquet, and we got in groups, and we were each responsible for something. And I remember that being the first time that, like, without direct teacher supervision intervention, we got to make decisions about – because I was in, like, the tapestry team. So we, like, went to old books, and and we made decisions about what to incorporate. We had to make, like, a coat of arms. Nice. And I still remember the time, ta- and we like got together at our at our, th- somebody's house in a basement on a Ooh. weeknight, and like worked on this outside of school. Yeah. And it was because it was for an audience, right, that was coming mm. to this banquet. So it had high importance in our right. sixth grade minds. There was an authentic experience yeah. happening that was connected to mm. it, and it wasn't a teacher telling us what to do. We chose it. We executed well, it. We mm. made, and I was. We were all so proud of it. Oh yeah. Right. That, that sense of agency that yes, you absolutely. granted by your teacher to yes. make those decisions for yourself. And trust it and then, like, bringing it. I still can, like, picture it. Yeah. yeah, I have a picture of it somewhere. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, Abby, because I'm right away making a connection to part three where they talk mm-hmm. about the importance of, of agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just want to – so we – this word gets thrown a lot around in education a lot, agency. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering when, for the – yeah, for the sake of our listeners – when you guys hear the word agency, what, especially with students, what comes to mind, or how would you how would you define that word? So I'd say the professional learning community I'm part of on Twitter. Um, there was a time, probably about five or seven years ago, where we talked a lot around the idea of agency, yeah. and the phrase that got used a lot was voice and choice. Right? Yeah. Students need a voice, mm-hmm. and they need to be empowered to make choices. And yeah. That, that has really stuck with me. I think that's probably an essential, two essential components that, yeah. that students actually do have a voice. And that means yeah. then as a teacher, you have to let go of some of your yeah. sense of control or that you have to share power, at least mm-hmm. in the classroom, right? That doesn't mean you let go of the role of authority that you have as the teacher, but yeah. how do you do that well? Yeah. I think that's a, a good question. And then the whole idea of choice that's a scary one, I think, for a lot of teachers because sometimes the choices students make have consequences, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just you like chocolate or vanilla kind of a choice, yeah. right? Um, no, for sure. If, if it's a real choice, then there's usually real stakes with real yeah. potential consequences mm-hmm. for, for that, right? So I don't know. That's the definition I've played with for agency. Yeah, yeah. I, like that that. No, I, like, I like those two words. Yeah. No, thanks for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, I just want to start actually with a quote from a different article I read. So I read an article by uh, Derek Sherman. Um, it was in, is it yep. Pro Reggae? Pro Reggae. Yep. He has this interesting quote that I made a connection to as I was reading um, part three. And here it is. 
Um, it's from an article called Approaches to Christian Education from Elusive Toward a Larger and Deeper Approach. He says, despite 30 years of talk about integration of faith and learning, and despite a half dozen best-selling books that call on Christians to take intellectual life more seriously, the idea of Christian scholarship remains elusive for women and men who teach at and who lead Christian colleges and universities. Now, I know we're, we're talking K-12 to education here, um, but it just made me, as I read that, um, I want to be, be vulnerable here and say when I got done reading this chapter, I felt quite insecure. I have, so I'm coming from a K to 12 context. I'm in my second year of higher ed and we struggled for as long as I can remember this idea of integration of faith, um, of, of worldview, of strengthening our mission and vision as a school, mm. of trying to be innovative in our practice. And when I got done reading this, I felt insecure because it made me feel like, well, we just haven't done enough. Or we haven't figured oh, yeah. it out. I've barely scratched the surface. We've barely scratched the right. surface. And right. so I found this chapter, and I think we've all said openly, we have so much appreciation for Andy mm -hmm. and Lynn's work. So for sure. But but when I got done, and I still appreciate it, and that's why I, I said today, this has caused some serious reflection for me. Because I felt this tension of, of look at the good things that we did that need mm -hmm. to be celebrated, and yet... Boy, we have we have so much uh -huh. we have so much work to do. So I just want to set that sort of as the table of, um, yeah, just feeling where do we go from here? Actually, um, of just of well done, good and faithful servants. And boy, there's a lot of work to yeah. do. And we've said before, Abby's uh -huh. led about two things can be true at the same time, yeah. right? Like it yeah. is you you've done Both good work, true. yeah, right. And yeah. yes, there's more we can do. Both of those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, for sure. This idea of Christian scholarship feels elusive. I wonder about that in Christian schools. Like, it feels like sometimes teaching Christianly feels elusive to me. Like, it feels like I'm not always sure what we mean. And, and so, so I still wrestle with that. Like, when we use that term, what are people, what do people mean when they talk about teaching Christianly? And I, I think about it, if I think about it as, in context of Christian schools specifically, one of the things I wondered about as I, as I read that is, have and this is a wonder, yeah. I wonder if in Christian schools, even in our hiring practices, if we have potentially overvalued worldview and mm -hmm. undervalued good pedagogy. Uh, yeah. Like I wonder, and so, and I wonder if part of the reason teaching Christianly at times feels elusive is because in many Christian schools, we do really well on the worldview piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not that we do poorly on teaching and learning, but it, it seems to become, if we have time for that, yeah. but make sure you get the worldview right. Yeah. And so when I was reading this about, I just wonder what that would look like. To shift that. To shift that, to shift mm -hmm. that a little. And I would think, like, it's both and, yeah. again, yeah. right? Right, it's a it's a both and. But I think it's traditionally I think you're right that it's traditionally been in Christian schools more about the worldview yeah. and about and mm. even in curriculum and about the content, right? If you yeah. think about learning, right. teaching right. Christianly has been defined by content and yeah. not pedagogy. So I was really glad to see a lot of how yeah. in right. here as well. Right? Yes. Did you use the adjective, right? 
teaching Christianly or adverb right. instead yes. of the adjective of Christian teaching. Mm-hmm. It is the adverb of teaching Christianly. Yeah. And so, so how? it's the how, how like how it includes the how. And so I appreciated the focus on pedagogy as well yeah. as you know the the bigger ideas embedded. And I'm reminded again, I just taught it this morning, which is why it's in my head, but the James K. Smith quote, right about education as formation yeah, yeah, and teaching yeah. students what to love. And if yeah. I think about, and I did it in the context of a reading in books, right, and how they can do that yeah. and shape what students yeah. love. Mm. Um, but like when you're taking multiple choice tests all the time, hmm. that does something to you too. It does. It forms you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there's an awful lot of students who know right from wrong and still choose wrong. Right. Right. So yeah. how does education help? Form us for loving what's right mm, yeah. and a passion for doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we separate it, right? Like right. if this is a if this is our mission and vision, how then shall we teach? Yeah. How then shall students learn? Um, just like how shall we assess? How shall we discipline or mm-hmm. yep. tied to our view a view of the student? I loved so, their displacement of the term classroom management with mm-hmm. positive behaviors for learning. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. twist. Can it? you say more about that? Yeah. yeah. So you talked about discipline, and even the inherent worldview that's built into the term of classroom management. Like, like, what am I actually managing? Yeah, I am. I am in charge of managing you. That yeah, gives right. agency takes agency away from students, right? Yeah versus reinforce I think they said reinforcing positive behaviors for learning Mm -hmm. is connected to flourishing and I love that and I even played with what does this look like in my class to talk about it like this instead of as classroom management Abby can I put you on the spot and just even in your class like what what how might you reframe that or encourage people to to think about that then is that is that as simple as and say instead of telling them what not to do tell them what the uh, like right. the desired behavior looks like instead of right. don't run, please walk. I mean, that's a simple example. Or... Well, I think so. And also even in my own, like I'm just even thinking about my syllabus. Yeah, interesting. The module that says classroom management, do I need to change how yeah. that is worded in my yeah. syllabus? Sure. Because yeah. the... Behaviors for learning. The language that we right. use actually does... Reinforcing matter. behaviors for learning. Yeah. Right? And then it's not about... Managing, I don't like the idea of managing students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the idea of micro-controlling yeah. their movements, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, I still think of High Tech High when we visited and how the principal openly encouraged students to be loud, that your kids, yeah. don't worry about yeah. it, yeah. right? And <laughs> what, so, a, what a mind shift that is right. for a lot of yeah. right. school leaders, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so here he was hosting all of us and like kids were being loud and being like, sorry. And he's like, your kids. Yeah, be Stop loud. Stop apologizing. Yeah. It made me realize there's a quote. Sorry, I, now I'm just thinking there's about There's no bells. No, no. yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs a pass to go to the bathroom. No. We, if yeah. you're in the hallway, we trust there's good yeah. reason for you to be in the hallway. Yeah. Nobody's asking, why are you in the yeah. hallway? No, and I wonder what that does. You talk about a culture of learning. Mm-hmm. When that trust exists between, like, talk about your interdependence, this trust that exists right. between the from teachers to, to students, yeah. between principal and and teachers, right? Like they're you're gonna feel free, right? To in a sense love the right things, do the right yeah. things, right? Because yeah. there's just that's a built-in expectation. But it made me think as you're talking about even classroom management systems for a 
for lack of a better word, right? They, they said at one time this line, every system is designed to get the results mm -hmm. it gets. Yeah, that's right. So so I'm thinking <laughs> about that. So they're talking about that in a different context in, in terms of like, consider the impact on students, teachers, overall mm -hmm. school decisions we make. But I think even decisions about classroom management. You set up a classroom behavior system, you're going to get the results at the So maybe that we need to think even in classroom management with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. What's the desired, what's flourishing, what's restoration right. look like and move well, backwards. And how are we scaffolding students to yeah. act positively outside of yeah. our, when they're not in our classroom, right. right? They have to develop self-regulation yeah. at some point. That's the goal, right? Mm. And they talk at one point, like coming back, yeah, they talk at one point about this idea of systems thinking, right, in this quote, mm -hmm. that every system is designed mm -hmm. to get the results. So one of the t struggles I felt as I re uh, read this was I can think quite often um, of often asking or saying to people, well, what's best for students? What's best for students? What's best for students? And I think that's an important question. Don't oh, get yes. me wrong. <laughs> it is. But, but. They, the way they frame this, to think about systems, they say we need to consider the impact not just on students, but on, on teachers, mm -hmm. um, on the overall school community. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think that when I'm, even though I, like I said, it's a really important question to ask, we have, we have to ask the other parts as well. What's the impact of this decision on school teachers? What's the impact of the decision on the community? Because when you think like that, then you might get to a place where, oh, like what's best for teachers is what's best for students' action. Yes. And that doesn't mean to diminish, but it means to to think through this systematically. I'm going to turn the conversation a little bit, because as you yep. said that, it just reminded me of this bit. And I had to quick flip over because I had a note in my book on this one. But, okay, they were talking about flourishing teachers mm -hmm. um, as learners, mm -hmm. right? Because that, mm -hmm. that was yeah. part of this, too. I have something to say about this, too. Okay. Yeah. So my my wonder was they, they had this bit where they're talking about adult learning theory mm -hmm. and, and how, how do educators keep learning and, and all of that, right? And there's a bit on page 116, uh, adults learn best when engaged in social contexts where they collaborate with their peers rather than trying to learn on their own. Research has shown that teachers find professional development most effective when it's active in nature, aligns with the instructional emphases of the goals of the school, and has a long-term duration. And that made me think, Abby, what you shared last time about your school's professional learning community yeah. model, the, the high yeah. school you were teaching at. Yeah. And it just made me wonder, like, what was your best professional development learning experience, Absolutely. right? Down. Was it active? Was it passive? And it was because uh, we all had agency in it. Yeah. Mm. And that kind of choice that you had. Yeah. It wasn't someone coming in for an hour and telling us. Right. It was us working together and deciding our agenda and, yeah. and helping each other, right? And that strikes me because I get asked to do a fair bit of professional mm -hmm. development. I've had a couple situations where I've worked with a school throughout a school year, and yeah. I'll go visit that school five or six mm -hmm. times, mm -hmm. you know, every couple months, and, hey, last time we did this, and now let's pick mm -hmm. it up here, and what's the next thing? And yeah. to get them more actively involved mm -hmm. instead of just making it sit and get, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah there's, there's one more model I just want to talk through here because it reminded me as I was reading this, not only of that PLC structure, but also of the idea of teachers as researchers in their own yes. classrooms right mm -hmm. so that's another thing that i have professional experience with is an action research type model right. or right. an inquiry and so what if pd looked like hey what is something in your classroom a problem of practice that you want to improve yeah. how can you study it 
Mm-hmm. In, in a small group, how can you all support each other as you study? Yes. And how can you share your learning with with your colleagues at the end of the year? So action research was a big part of my doctoral program. Um, there's, a, there's a lab school um, connected to the University of Florida where I was, and this was their PD. Oh, yeah. Every year, they each do an inquiry project. Yeah. So they're expected to conduct research. Many of them publish it and present at conferences and yeah. do things with it. But they also have a celebration of learning at the end mm-hmm. of every school year. And they have time built into their weeks mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. But they all create a question. They use research to um, inform it. They come up with a plan yep. um, to address it. And then they study the results and share them. Um, We do this with actually at a small scale with our own students where we teach them the action research project and they have the option to do that in their student teaching. We do it at the master's level as a master's project. And I think that's another model that gives teachers the kind of agency that we're talking about also giving students. It it makes me wonder if we, in my mind, to think about professional development rather than like, what do you want to do? What problem do you want to solve? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And I wonder if we if we just even invited teachers into that question and then, Hey, how can I provide you with the resources, including the resource of time to solve that problem? And I just, maybe it's just re it's maybe it's reframing that question. I think about um, our friends who are implementing teaching for transformation, Mm -hmm. right? When you, when you agree to, you know, implement this framework they literally lay this out over four or five years like yeah and, and they talk about the swanner wolf talk about this in terms of the long-term duration mm-hmm. right we have probably all said at one time or another and we've definitely heard others say right i'll just wait this out yeah right just this was the next late grade with any pro d right and and as much as that's cynical and i don't always appreciate it We've given teachers reason to say mm-hmm. that as well. Mm-hmm. Sadly true. Sadly That's true, right? Yeah. And so I like this idea of I like this idea of you know, hey, we're gonna take here's a here's the five year plan, mm-hmm. and we're all in on that. If I think about the school I was at, um, in terms of when we were going through implementing teaching for transformation, it was really stressed this this culture of try, and I love the language of culture mm-hmm. of try, and so we would have small cohorts. We'd get together, we'd discuss one idea, and we'd have five or six weeks to play around with it in the sandbox. We'd come together, we'd present to each other, Uh we'd go back and play in the sand. Just keep trying, keep Uh coming back, Mm -hmm. many celebrations of learning. Uh And then when we got to the end of the year, we'd have a a bigger celebration. But it is this culture of trying. They talk about this idea, right, of of, is your school a place where it's, it's safe for teachers to make mistakes, to try new things, to to not just do the theory of professional development, but to actually try. And I, and I couldn't help but think, like, if teachers aren't feel free to try new things and make mistakes, then how can we expect them to ask their students to do the same thing if they if they don't have that freedom? So, so I just really appreciated that idea of like, yeah, how do you, so school leaders to think about that, what might it look like in your school culture to have a culture of try? Right. And, and a, a willingness to take some healthy risks and, yeah. and to, and sometimes that means you're going to miss the mark then, right? Yeah. And how do we build that kind of culture for, for teachers yeah. to say, yeah. it's okay, uh-huh. yeah. right? There, there was a bit towards the end of this section when you get into the reflections, uh, every section of the book, right? And they had one in here that started off, the, the quote was, flourishing is not a synonym for success. 
Hmm. Flourishing is not a synonym for success. I wrote that down too. Yeah. And, and that caught me, that, that really caught my attention because I feel like for myself, and again, that probably says more about me, that, that if I'm not succeeding at the thing I'm trying, then I must not yeah. be flourishing uh -huh. in this. And, and to rethink that, right? Like to, how do you build a culture of try where uh, the, the process is the, the end goal actually, yeah. right? Like yeah, this absolutely. process of becoming. You guys talked earlier about agency and giving up control and power and and they talked about this idea of the importance of giving feedback for teachers. And, and even there then, as a principal, can you give that over to your yeah. teachers? Yeah. Do, you, do you have to be the only one giving feedback? Or, or maybe, and I want to say this the right way, maybe you're the last person that should be giving feedback, right? <laughs> or, or at least to say, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this over to these to these colleagues, to be in each other's classrooms, mm. to give each other feedback, to have authentic conversations. And part of part of your job as a principal is maybe to cover that class so that they can get into into each other's uh -huh. rooms, right? Uh -huh. and so maybe to give up give up that power and, and control around that. So there's a whole chapter that they included in here on the importance of questions. Yeah. And, and I really, really loved that chapter in particular. Yeah. And the, the bit where they talked about um, what what are the right kinds of questions that we should be asking and questions that will lead to wisdom and, and I liked that idea like so often teachers ask questions but we're asking convergent questions where there's one right answer right? and I think if we're serious about becoming a flourishing culture of learners even as, mm -hmm. as teachers as educators we should be asking questions that maybe don't just have one right answer mm -hmm. and questions yeah. that open up possibilities and cause you to wonder because I think that's where we're gonna start to yeah. develop wisdom do we all do we often ask questions ourselves that we already know the answer to? Like, how do we actually express wonder? Like, how often do we say to our students, like, I've never thought of that before, mm -hmm. or your, you know, a response makes me think of this. Can we wonder about this together? Can we be co-learners um, in this classroom? I immediately thought of an, an activity that uh, my colleague Steve Kroll and I used to do. Uh, we we would give these kids these crazy math and science projects yeah. where like we didn't usually know yeah. the answer to it and the, my favorite one was we gave them a, a challenge um keep a block of ice from melting for 24 hours yeah. right and this was eighth graders and, and we just gave them this challenge and we had a couple requirements because we wanted to make sure we worked in some science concepts and some math content and stuff um, but basically, they, yeah, they had to figure out a way to do that. So the kids are bringing in styrofoam insulation and aluminum foil, all kinds of things. One group brings a pound of ground beef. Yeah. And Steve and I are watching them. They're like packing this ice cube in yeah. this ground beef. And then the, the whole idea was after they like built their contraption to keep the ice cube, then they would put it in the freezer for 24 hours and they had their time, they had to get it out. Yeah. Right. And we're watching this kid <laughs> packing this in yeah. meat. Like, What's going on there? And so we went over and asked them, and, and the kid's like, well, my mom, like, she'll take a pound of ground beef out yeah. of the freezer, yeah. and, and it, it sits there yeah. all day, and yeah, it doesn't yeah, fall yeah. out. And, and we were looking at each other like, there's no way this is going to work, right? That is the one. Of, we had about a dozen projects. That one had like a block of ice no left way. inside the ground beef after it sat out for 24 hours. It was unbelievable. That is unbelievable. And, and for us to just like recognize... We don't know the answer to this question, and we were kind of scoffing internally, yeah. like, there's no way that's going to work. But it totally it blew totally our minds. Oh, it was amazing. That's awesome. It, it was made, so cool. It made me think one of the traditions at Surrey Christian School was the egg drop. Oh, yeah. And it's basically, right, you do what you got to do. We're going to throw this egg off, you, off the roof of the school. Yep, yep. And our whole school, so there would be hundreds of kids out there watching. 
And the principal at that time, Danny, um, would go out onto the roof of the school, like on, like way up there, and he'd wear his cat in the hat, big hat, nice, and he would just, just throw these, these things off. <laughs> and it was, first of all, like the the creative design of some of these projects was unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah. But it was shocking, like some of the some of them that you'd look at and you'd be like, "There's no way that egg's gonna make it," right? And it did. And others that you were like, oh, look how large this thing is. It's it's packed with styrofoam and pillows. Didn't survive at all. And it was just those types of things that I just think. That's also where you just see the creativity of kids, right? Like that they just think differently about things than adults. And it's beautiful. And for us to be able to delight in in their childlike wondering. And for us to be surprised. We could be surprised surprised by the things that they come up with. Oh, absolutely. It's so fun. Folks, thanks for joining us in the hallway. We really appreciate your support. And as you go into this week, we want to send you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. This podcast was quite literally dreamed up during one of our actual hallway conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Thanks for listening. Abby, watch your language today. <laughs> Not responding. I tell you what, I feel a little punchy. You're getting a little punchy. Everyone's a little punchy. So that's all right.